Good to see you tonight. Trust you're having a good week. How wonderful it is to be a part of a forever family. You know, it's kind of it's kind of good that God didn't just save me in isolation, or or you. I think for kind of a long eternity. I guess you'd have you and God. That'd probably be sufficient, right? But it's it's good to have a family, a forever family that God has brought together. And we're talking about that in Ephesians 3, but before we get into it, let's uh, ask the Lord to bless our study. Lord, again, we thank you for the privilege to study the Word tonight. Give me grace as I teach. And again, we thank you for your amazing plan of salvation, the grand scheme, uh, which involves ultimately a forever family called the church. So we commit our study to you, ask your blessing upon it, pray in Christ's name, amen. Well, as we're working our way through Ephesians, the first three chapters, uh, largely doctrinal in nature, last three chapters, four through six, build on that in terms of practical emphasis. And, and Paul's pattern is that. He tends to lay down the doctrinal foundation and then build uh, the practice upon that. Well, he begins with an emphasis on uh, the the church and God's grand plan for uh, for the church. And uh, we see that in chapter 1. And also then he prays for enlightenment that we might, we might understand it in a deep sense. Chapter 2 emphasizes the basis uh, for how we get into the family, which is Ephesians 2, 8, 9. We're saved by grace through faith, right? But as he builds on that in chapter 2, <clears throat> salvation is not just about a personal thing. It is that. But he develops this idea of a, of a family. It's a, it's a, and it's both Jew and Gentile. And it's all based on the blood of Jesus Christ and what Jesus Christ has done for us. That's chapter 2. Well, he kind of backs up and rehearses now uh, that this is a brand new thing, as we see in chapter 3. Church is a brand new reality. It was not in the Old Testament at all, as we will see in our study tonight. And uh, it, it was a mystery until it was revealed. Uh, let's have somebody read. Uh, let's kind of break it up here a little bit. Uh, somebody want to read the, uh, the first uh, couple of verses there. Chapter 3, uh, Ephesians 3 and, and uh, 1 and 2. Somebody want to read that for us? Yeah, okay. <laughs> John, why don't you go ahead? Okay, thank you. So uh, he begins, uh, for this reason I, Paul. And uh, he's building on the emphasis he has just made at the end of chapter 2, that there's this union, this brand new union uh, between the Jew and the Gentile, spiritual uh, unity. And, uh, but all of a sudden, he no sooner starts here, uh, he says, for this reason I, Paul. And uh, he begins to pray, we believe, we believe here in, in verse 1. But then he interrupts himself again, as he tends to do. He kind of started praying back in chapter 1, verse 15, and he had a digression there. He has a number of digressions. <laughs> Paul mentioned something about the church, and it will trigger a, a whole line of thought here. And we have one of those triggers again here. He really resumes this uh, uh, prayer later here in the, in the chapter. In fact, we like to say that Paul is kind of the author of Inspired Bunny Trails. Right? I mean, he, he kind of tends to do that. So there's no connecting verb here until we get to verse 14. Uh, for this reason, I, Paul, what? Uh, he resumes the prayer a little later. 
much later. Oh, that's okay. Thank you. Uh, so you want to connect this. For this reason, I, Paul, with bow my knees in verse 14. So there's kind of a, uh, an interruption between verse 1 and verse 14. And <clears throat> what do you think he's going to talk about in this interruption here? Well, there's, there's this trigger. He no sooner says, uh, I, Paul, the prisoner of Christ Jesus for you Gentiles. And uh, it triggers a whole line of thought in terms of his, his ministry that God has given to him. Uh, prisoner of Jesus Christ. Uh, notice he's talking about, um, uh, he is a prisoner, and this is one of the prison epistles. You know, we have four prison epistles in the New Testament. But uh, he doesn't say, I'm a prisoner of Rome, I'm a prisoner of the Jews, or Nero, none of that. He says, I'm a, I'm a prisoner of Jesus Christ. So ultimately, he is here because of God's sovereign purposes that has put him where he's at. And so he recognizes uh, this is God's doing, that God has brought him to this point. And uh, notice he says, for you Gentiles, um, again, he's in prison, but why? Why is he? Well, you remember that he was uh, accused of bringing a Gentile into the temple, right? I mean, his association with Gentiles got him in trouble when he went to Jerusalem. And as he was seen with Gentiles, there's like, ah, he, he brought that Gentile into the tent, which he didn't do. But they were accusing him of this. And uh, so then he's uh, trying to explain himself later in his ministry in Acts 22. He's recounting what has happened. And he says, and when the blood of uh, your martyr Stephen was shed, I was also standing by consenting to his death and guarding the clothes of those who were killing him. Then he said to me, depart, for I will send you far from here to the Gentiles. Uh-oh. When you have a Jewish audience, that's the wrong word to say. <clears throat> God's got a purpose for my life in regards to the Gentiles. And they listen to him, his, his Jewish audience, as he's trying to explain, you know, how God has worked and how he's come to believe in Jesus Christ and so forth to the, this uh, Jewish audience. They listen to him until this word, this, this word Gentiles. And then they raise their voices and said, away with such a fellow from the earth, for he is not fit to live. He should die. Um, and uh, that led to a process, as I say here, this set into in, motion the events which led to Paul being in prison for the next five years, ending up in Rome, awaiting trial before Nero, which is where he was at the time of this writing. Paul was here because of his stand for Christ, especially in reference to his gospel ministry in regard to the Gentiles. You know, the Jews might have let up on him very gently if he wouldn't have said the word Gentiles. Hey, I'm sending you out to the Gentiles. It's like, this guy should die. No, no, you, you can't do that. So uh, he says, for this reason, I, Paul, the prisoner of Jesus Christ for you Gentiles. And then note uh, at the end of verse one, uh, there's a dash there. Uh, no sooner says the word Gentiles. And again, I think we have a trigger that leads to an emphasis on an enhancement, if you will, of, of his ministry, his special calling in relationship to those Gentiles. And so, uh, again, kind of the, uh, the author of Inspired Bunny Trails, although I want to be careful there because it is an inspired word of God here. God led him in, in all these bunny trails here. All right. Any other thoughts before we move on to verse 2? <clears throat> verse 1, kind of introductory in nature. Okay, verse 2. Notice... He says, if indeed you have heard of the dispensation of the grace of God, which was given to me for you, 
And so note, there's a for you Gentiles emphasis in verse 1. And now there's another emphasis. uh, This ministry that is given to Paul, he says, for you, uh, for you Gentiles again. And uh, this, again, is the start of another long sentence. We have eight long sentences in the book of Ephesians. And uh, this is the fourth one now. And it goes from verse 2 through verse uh, 13. So in the Greek, it's another long sentence here. He says, if indeed you have heard of the dispensation of the grace of God. It's a first class condition in the Greek, which it could be translated since. It, it assumes that they had heard of uh, his special ministry, this dispensation of grace, uh, which was given to him. Uh, the word dispensation is an interesting word in the New Testament. It simply means stewardship, uh, management, uh, administration. It's those, those concepts uh, dispensation, the idea like um, one who manages a household or, or is an, a manager of something has a, has a stewardship management responsibility. That idea. Um, it's found uh, three times here in the book. We saw it in chapter 1, verse 10, also here in verse 3, 2, and also in 3, 9. Uh, but let's talk about this dispensation of the grace of God. Uh, Paul had a special responsibility for this new revelation related to this, this special dispensation of grace uh, in relationship to uh, the truth related to the Gentiles. Um, let's talk about dispensation for a moment. Uh, you know, we talk about dispensations. So let's talk about the two key ones. You've got law in the Old Testament related to Israel. <clears throat> Were Gentiles under the law? No, they weren't under the formal Mosaic law. Now, in a sense, all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. There is a, there is a moral law represented in the law of Moses to, to which all are accountable as far as conscience and so forth. But as far as the formal Mosaic law, the Gentiles were never under uh, the Mosaic law. So that's the dispensation of law in the Old Testament. Uh, we're under what we call grace, uh, under a new covenant uh, in the church age. Israel wasn't under this. And uh, they're still not because they still haven't come to believe in their Messiah. But John 1.17, for the law was given through Moses, talking about the law of Moses, but grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. So there is a different dispensation as far as law here in the Old Testament and grace here related to the New Testament church. Um, I like to break, uh, as we think about dispensations, uh, dispensationalism, distinction between God's program for Israel and his program for the church. If you get to the core of what we mean by dispensationalism, we see a distinction between God's program for Israel and his program for the church. The church is not Israel, and Israel is not the church. Make a clear distinction between those two. Covenant theologians don't make that distinction. They want to emphasize just one people of God through the ages. Yeah, God working a little different here, but uh, we have now in the New Testament still Israel. It's just spiritual Israel. The church is called spiritual Israel. We think there's a lot of uh, hermeneutical problems arriving at that uh, position. We would see uh, Israel, Old Testament emphasis. Now we got a brand new thing. It's not, not Israel in any way, shape, or form. This is a, this is a whole different thing. Uh, it was a mystery in the Old Testament. And uh, God is right now building a forever family called the church. And when, that, when he's done with the church, he's going to come back and he's going to complete uh, his program with Israel. 
All those promises that he made to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob related to the Abrahamic covenant uh, are still going to be fulfilled in relationship to Israel. And uh, that's distinct from what we see in relationship to the church. And we'll talk a little bit more about this as we move through the text here. But note this uh, dispensation of grace, of the grace of God, he says, which was given to me for you. There was special grace given to Paul uh, in relationship to his ministry that especially focuses on the Gentiles. Uh, Paul is called... Um, the apostle to the Gentiles. I mean, he called himself that in Romans chapter 11 and verse 13. Had a special ministry in relationship to the Gentiles. And especially emphasizing now, we're all on equal spiritual footing. Uh, there's no Jews and Gentile Jews over here with their spiritual privileges, Gentiles over here somewhere. No, no. We are together on an equal spiritual footing in Christ. And Paul was the lead one that really brought this out as far as New Testament revelation. We owe a lot to Paul as far as there's a new dispensation. There, there's, a, there's a management of, a, of a, a stewardship of grace in terms of the message that's going out, this message of grace. And Paul had a unique role in that assignment. He says, uh, which was given to me for you. Uh, praise the Lord for the grace of God that we uh, Gentiles now share in. All right. Uh, all right. Any other thoughts before we continue here? Yeah, Vince? Yeah, no, I want to say something that perhaps everybody knows about God. It's okay. It needs to be said anyway, maybe. Yeah. Uh, but just to, to mention that a different dispensation does not mean different ways of getting saved. Oh. Salvation is consistent. It's always by faith. You know, uh, so Absolutely. In all dispensations. In all yeah, God works a little different way in different times. You know, you got pre-law, you got law, you got uh, the church age we now live in. Uh, you will have the tribulation period, the kingdom. You know, there's different phases in how God's working. There's certain distinctions about different phases. But through it all, you're right. There is a consistency that anybody that's saved is saved by grace through faith in all dispensations. Absolutely, for sure. What's that? That's right. Exactly. Good point. Habakkuk 2.4. There we go. Right there. Amen. All right. Anyone else? Okay. Thank you, Vince. All right. Let's have somebody read uh, verses. Let's uh, read 3 through 5. Really, uh, all these verses go together, this first section here. Uh, why don't we have somebody read verses 3 through 5? Somebody want to read that? Yeah, Nina? Thank you. Okay, uh, notice he says here, he's talking about this dispensation of the grace of God, a special stewardship uh, related to grace that has been given to him. Uh, of course, that impacts all of us Gentiles. But he's really talking about the message of grace that is now found in Christ that makes us Gentiles equal shares in the spiritual realities that we have in Christ. And he says, uh, how did he know this? How that by revelation he made known to me the mystery. Um, it's not like Paul came up with this on, on his own. He didn't figure this out on his own. It was made known to him by revelation. How that by revelation he made known to me. So it came by God's revelation to Paul. 
the other apostles too, uh, not only Paul, but uh, certainly he was a key agent here. Uh, he made known to me the mystery, the mystery. Mystery in the New Testament is a divine secret. It's something that was unknown and unknowable apart from God's revelation. But mystery in the New Testament means that which was previously unknown, but now it's been revealed. Uh, so that's what he means by mystery here. We, we would not have known it except God revealed it, but he has now revealed it. And uh, he made known to me the mystery, uh, that which was previously unknown, but has now been revealed. And uh, what's he talking about? Well, he's talking about the union that we now have in Christ as Jews and Gentiles. As he says, uh, as I have briefly written already. Well, where did he, where did he already write about this? Well, chapter 1, chapter 2. <laughs> chapter 1, verses 9 through 14, verses 22 through 23, and chapter 2, 11 through 22. So he's already been uh, touching on this, on this subject. And uh, it was a major thing. You have to realize uh, the prejudice that you had in terms of Jews towards Gentiles all for, you know, 1,500 years uh, from Moses on. I mean, they looked down on the Gentiles like they're unclean dogs. <laughs> and, uh, you know, they're, they're, they're not, we're not to have anything to do with Gentiles. And uh, we are the favored people of God. We are the chosen people. So now to come along and say, oh, no, 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 that's, that's all changed now. Uh, Gentiles, you know those, those, those filthy Gentiles? They now can be the special people of God j- just, just as sure as you are on an equal tone. That was really hard. Uh, and it was a process. Uh, you know, you have the first five years of the church age. Jewish church didn't really have the Gentiles included initially. But then as it began to branch out, Boy, they had a hard time. You know, Acts chapter 10 and 11, uh, the Gentiles, as, as Peter is sharing with Cornelius' household, all of a sudden the Holy Spirit comes on the Gentiles, just like it did come on, on the Jews. And what did the Jews make of that? <laughs> they didn't want to wake it. Well, then God must have granted repentance to the Gentiles, just like he did to us Jews at the beginning. Just the same experience that we had as the Jewish people uh, on the day of Pentecost. Now, five years later, the Gentiles have had this experience. So it was showing them, oh yeah, the same Holy Spirit's been poured out on them just as it happened to us on the day of Pentecost. But it was a process. And then we had the, the Jerusalem Council. Uh, do the Gentiles have to be circumcised uh, to become a, you know, a real part of this new thing here? No, we're not going back under the law. So we have this Jerusalem Council uh, settling those, those issues. Um, but it was a, it was a process. And it's interesting, you know, I look at what we got going on in the world today. There's a lot of application here in terms of uh, uh, the world in all of their worldly wisdom wants to break people up into groups, right? This group over here, this group over here, that group over there. But really, uh, in Christ, you know, I was reading this article today by uh, a friend of mine, uh, Dan Fredericks. And he's, uh, you know, with the IFCA, which I'm a, I'm a part of that uh, Independent Fundamental Churches of America. But... He's writing biblical justice versus social justice. And let me read a couple of lines here. He says, the solutions offered through means such as social justice wrongly find their source in human wisdom rather than true, the true wisdom of God. The world is broken by sin, exacerbated by the actions of rebellious hearts before God. And he says, the only solution is the work of God in Christ providing reconciliation through the gospel of the cross. What really does bring us together? Where do we really find unity? The world's trying to figure it out and trying to say, well, everybody just needs to behave. Well, they're not going to. It's not going to happen. 
the only solution is the gospel of the cross. This is the ministry he has entrusted to believers as recipients of the grace in Christ Jesus. It's not a call to cultural change brought about by economically, sociological, environmentally, or politically. It's a call to life transformation in individual hearts, obedient to the justice and righteousness of the sovereign Lord for his glory alone. Well, amen to that. That's what, that's what we're preaching. The, the answer is found in Jesus. Uh, the world doesn't have the answers. Uh, the answer is found in the gospel. It's, it's the unity that we have in Jesus Christ uh, that is the emphasis. And if God can bring Jews and Gentiles together as one new man, I think there's, that, that is kind of the, the, the greatest feat right there. Uh, to realize where the Jews were at and where the Gentiles were at. I mean, they were so far apart. And to bring them together as one new man in Christ is an amazing reality. All other things are lesser than, than that, uh, than that uh, separation that we have there uh, represented in the Old Testament. Okay, uh, verse 4. Uh, he says here, uh, he talks about the mystery, as I have briefly written already, by which when you read... You may understand my knowledge in the mystery of Christ. His intention is that when they read what he is sharing, that they will be illuminated to understand the insight that he has been given uh, concerning this mystery, uh, this divine revelation about the church and how the Jews and the Gentiles are now on an equal spiritual footing, uh, that you may understand my knowledge. By the way, tremendous emphasis in Paul's writings on understanding. Does he address feelings? Not so much. I wouldn't deny feelings. I mean, God created us, you know, feelings too. We have feelings too. But feelings are kind of like the caboose and not the engine. And uh, I think feelings need to be led by understanding. Proper understanding. Feelings are like the weather. It's subject to change all over the place. And you just follow feelings. You're not a stable person. That's all you're doing. Uh, that you may understand, he says. Uh, first understanding. And then feelings get in line behind that. Uh, and understanding relates to sound doctrine. So many today don't want, uh, you know, I saw this guy. He was a false teacher. Somebody, I don't know. He was all kinds of, he was trying to appeal to an English audience. But he had all kinds of misspelled words and what, and the captions and everything else. But the audience behind him was just going crazy. And it was all about, you know, uh, come and get your miracles. And, and, you know, people are getting healed here. And this person got up and walked away and all this stuff. And the audience just going crazy. It's like, there's no doctrine here. It's all hype. It's all just feeling. There's so much of that. But Paul's wanting to emphasize understanding, that you may understand my knowledge. Understanding and knowledge uh, relate to the mind. That you may understand my knowledge in what? In the mystery of Christ. Again, he's talking about uh, something that was before unknown, and Christ is the center of it. Christ is the catalyst for the whole thing. Uh, over and over again, we see in Ephesians, we've seen it, uh, this emphasis on being in Christ. It's all about Christ. He has made it possible through the cross. And now as we come to faith, we're in Christ. We're in union with Christ. And uh, so he's wanting uh, them to understand this mystery that's been revealed that is centered in Christ. Okay. Um, any thoughts before we go into verse 5? Any input? Okay, let's press on. Verse 5. 
which in other ages was not made known to the sons of men, as it has now been revealed by the Spirit to his holy apostles and prophets. This is a great verse, uh, emphasizing this is a whole new thing. This is a major uh, piece of, the, of theology, sound doctrine. Uh, it's a whole new thing. It was, it was, as we've said, it was not revealed before. It was a mystery. And he says very plainly here, which in other ages was not made known to the sons of men. They didn't know about this mystery thing called the church. It was not revealed in the Old Testament. It's a whole new thing. Uh, yes, it was known in the Old Testament that Gentiles would be blessed through Abraham. I mean, in Abraham, all the families of the earth would be blessed, right? Yes. Uh, Genesis twelve three, And it was known that the Gentiles would be saved. You know, there's lots of scriptures that would relate, relate to that. However, what was not known was that a special coming dispensation would involve both Jews and Gentiles in one body as spiritual equals. That was a whole new deal. It's a whole new and foreign concept. So that's what he's talking about here when he says, which in other ages was not made known to the sons of men. So that's very important in your theology and in terms of... uh, you understand what I'm saying? This, this, this family of believers, both Jew and Gentile, one family, is a whole new creation by God. It wasn't in the Old Testament. And everything about the church is new, including things like the rapture. The rapture is a church event. It's not related to Israel. That's, a, that's an in Christ event, as we see in 1 Thessalonians. So uh, we want to understand here uh, that this uh, reality of the church and everything about the church was previously unknown. By the way, Paul talks about the, this mystery related to the rapture, and he calls it a mystery in 1 Corinthians chapter 15. Uh, I do not want you to be ignorant, brethren, concerning this mystery. Uh, now let me ask you... <clears throat> Previously unrevealed, uh, it's a mystery, but now it's, now it's been revealed, the church and everything about the church. How about uh, the second coming of Christ to the earth? Was that previously revealed in the Old Testament scriptures? Yes, it was. Showing you there's a distinction between this thing called the rapture. I mean, there's nothing like the rapture in the Old Testament. But there is this reality of the second coming of Christ to the earth. Zechariah 12, Zechariah 14, on and on. So he's talking about something that was previously unknown in its entirety. But it has now been revealed by the Spirit. Ah, this is a Spirit revelation. And did he reveal it to just everybody? Oh, no. No. Uh, It has been revealed by the Spirit, under inspiration, to his holy apostles and prophets. Just them. Just them. The holy apostles and prophets. They were the ones that were given this mystery. Now the apostles uh, were the uh, personal uh, associates of the Lord Jesus Christ who walked with him while he was up on the earth. Were personally taught by Jesus Christ. Were personally selected by Jesus Christ. Personally saw the risen Christ. Uh, They were uh, confirmed with special sign miracles. 
And so uh, the apostles were the, the special representatives of Jesus Christ, the authoritative representatives of Jesus Christ in a very special sense. And uh, the prophets, again, we're t- talking about other ages. This is talking about New Testament prophets, not, not the Old Testament prophets now. He's talking about prophets associated with the apostles, contemporaries of the apostles, not Old Testament now, I want you to see something here, uh, and, you know, uh, I like to go through this with new Christians, because if you get this, it will prevent you from a lot of theological error out here in the world today. And uh, to start with, uh, I, you need to nail down John 16, 12, and 13. You know, it's the night before you got to, uh, the upper room discourse, as we sometimes call it, in John 14, and of course, not all that took place in the upper room, but uh, John 14 through 17. But uh, here, it's the night before Christ is crucified. And he says to, who do you suppose he's addressing? I still have many things to say to you. Well, he's talking to the apostles. But you cannot bear them now. Three years in, just be, final words, he's, you know, final address. He's talking to his apostles. He says, I have a lot more to share with you guys. But you're so blame slow that I haven't been able to get it through to all of you. No, he didn't say that. He's much more gracious and gentle. But, but he's saying, I, 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 I have a lot more I'd like to share with you. But you're not, you're, not, you're not up to it. You can't take it in. Well, but he says, however, when he, the spirit of truth has come, he will guide you into all. The Greek has a definite article here. We should have it in the English. I don't know why they left that out there, but they did. Uh, he will guide you into all the truth. For he will not speak on his own authority, but he, whatever he hears, he will speak, and he will tell you things to come. Now, let me ask you a question here. In the context, in the flow of thought here, is the you here in verse 12 different than the you here in verse 13? You tell us. <laughs> I will. <laughs> no. In context, the you here, he's talking clearly to the apostles. You say, well, I think I'm, people want to take verse 13 and just kind of isolate it out and say, well, see, the Spirit's going to guide me into all the truth. Well, in a secondary sense, in the sense of application, one interpretation, many applications, but I'm talking interpretation now. And in terms of interpretation, uh, the you here, you weren't there, were you? Were you there the night before Christ was crucified? And was he talking to you when he says, I still have many things to say to you? And you cannot bear them now. That you weren't there. This is, yeah, I know it's elementary. But I'm telling you, people want to take verse 13 and take it out of its context. And they want to make a personal application to them. They say, okay, application. But in terms of interpretation, this is the apostles. When he, the spirit of truth, has come, he will guide you. Same you as in verse 12. And what's he going to guide you into? All the truth. He's going to guide the apostles. When the Spirit comes, he's going to guide the apostles into all the truth. He's talking new revelation, church revelation. That's what we're talking about. You get that down, it will protect you from a lot of false teachers who come along and say, well, I've got a word from the Lord. Okay, get our stones. We're going to have to stone you. There there is no new word from you. It's false teaching. It's given through the apostles. As Jesus said in John 16, 12, and 13, he will guide you into, not some, but all the truth, a definite body of truth. That's why I emphasize the definite article there. 
a definite body of truth, what we have in the New Testament scriptures. And uh, clearly it's going to be a spirit and he'll, he'll show you things to come. Uh, future things related to church age truth. Well, um, building on that. Okay, sorry. Yeah, 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 sure. Yeah. And uh, a correct interpretation, a, a correct application flows of a correct interpretation. You, know, you cannot have an incorrect interpretation come up with a correct application, right? Amen. Uh, I, I, no, there is no correct application from verse 13 interpretation that will say that he speaks to me today. <laughs> <laughs> right. Not in, not, not in that sense. What, what I really mean, instead of, uh, you know, I want to talk about illumination, you know, in terms of what's already been given. But in terms of new revelatory truth, you're absolutely right. That's not happening. But, uh, yeah, we, we are illumined as far as, uh, you know, all that God has given to us, for example. That's what I mean uh, when I'm talking about application or really talking about illumination. But in the strict sense of the word, absolutely what you're saying is right. That's true. Yeah, uh, you're not going to say, well, I've got the wrong interpretation, but correct application. No, they seem, they go together. Yeah, yeah. But he's only going to illuminate what he's already given. Yeah, right. Absolutely. Amen. My point exactly, for sure. And uh, note what we already have covered here. Um, in Ephesians 2, 19 and 20, Now therefore you are no longer strangers and foreigners, but fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God. So he's talking about you were outside, but now you're inside the family, having been built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Jesus Christ himself being the chief cornerstone. I want to emphasize their foundational ministry. It was a revelatory foundational ministry. That's completely consistent here. And uh, so note, once the apostles died, the New Testament was complete. After the book of Revelation was complete, there is no more inspired New Testament revelation. Of course, John, the apostle, the last living apostle, wrote the book of Revelation and died. Uh, so there's no more inspired New Testament revelation. God does guide us personally and sometimes in unique ways, but always in accordance with consistent New Testament truth. That, that's your point, right? Yep. Uh, there is no more New Testament revelation being given. Jesus said all the truth would be given in reference to the apostles in John 16. And so it was. Since the apostles couldn't be everywhere, God also gave prophets to serve alongside them in the early church. But once the apostles died out, so did the gift of prophecy. And I like to emphasize that the apostles had more of a universal church ministry, uh, but they couldn't be everywhere, right? They didn't have the New Testament Bibles yet. It was being formed as it was being given, but uh, we might come together and say, well, we don't have a Bible. Is there, is there a New Testament word from God today? Well, God would reveal New Testament truth through prophets in those local churches, but they served alongside to supplement the, the, the greater ministry of the apostles. And they were the close associates with uh, the apostles. And we're not sharing anything contrary to the apostles. And really, the apostles were the, the source uh, head of it all. Um, okay, so what do we see? If we were to diagram this, we have a foundation, a revelatory foundation, right? Jesus Christ, the chief cornerstone. Everything links with that cornerstone. Uh, he was the first one who introduced the church. I will build my church. He said that somewhere, right? 
Yeah, Matthew 16. Uh, and then uh, closely associate his, his authoritative representatives, the apostles, his authoritative spokesmen. And their close associates, the prophets, had a revelatory gift related to New Testament church. But he says at the end of Ephesians, what he's building on right here, builded and fitted together grows. It, it's building on this foundation. Christ, the chief cornerstone, the apostles and prophets, they laid the New Testament foundation. That the rest of the building, uh, this holy temple that God is building, this holy family that God is building, we build on that. Now, if you understand that, you will not be misled when Joseph Smith comes along and says, I, 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 I'm a Latter-day prophet. Yes, you are. But you are a false prophet. You're a Latter-day false prophet. You're not a true prophet. You're not a contemporary of the apostles. They laid the foundation. You only laid the foundation once, and they did it. So, okay. Um, all right. Any other thoughts? Yeah, Kurt? Uh, a new prophecy? Yeah, kind of new prophecy. They were trying to justify the fact that prophecy, like what's being described here, is still relative. But I couldn't believe how many pages it was that they were trying to justify it. And if they weren't wrong in their prophecy, then they could apologize for it and do some other things. But some of these churches today, the word is not sufficient. They, they really oh. focus in on that, quote, gift of prophecy right. in the new days. So I think it's, you know, really... Again, search the scriptures, just look at the groundwork where the apostles were used. That's our truth. Amen. But I think people get lazy. They don't want to read the word. They don't want to study the word to understand it. And so they get trapped into things because it, it tickles your ears. And you want That's to right. Boy, it's, it's exciting if you think we're getting together and somebody's going to have a brand new, fresh revelation from God. That's so much more exciting. Open up this dusty old book and this dry sound doctrine. Uh, what's that? Well, I agree, but the, the people that are just locked into feelings and emotions, that's the kind of thing that they follow after. And they're so easily misled because they're not basing on sound doctrine, just like you're talking about. There's all kinds of guys out here claim that they're apostles today. Um, it's just crazy. But in, from my perspective, it's, it's last day's madness. All right. Anyone else? Okay. Very good. Let's have somebody read uh, verse uh, 6 and 7 to finish out here tonight. Who wants to read 6? Terry? Thank you. Uh, you said the nations, uh, which is fine. Gentiles. Gentiles. Yeah, my translation. That the Gentiles should be fellow heirs of the same body, partakers of his promise in Christ through the gospel. There's a tremendous emphasis here, as Paul is emphasizing all the way through, uh, the unity that we have in, in Christ. And uh, note the threefold division that we find in the scriptures. We have from Adam uh, to Abraham... Uh, you know, there were, no, there were no Jews, there were no Hebrew people uh, before Abraham, right? I mean, Abraham is the first one who's called a Hebrew. And so you, you had nothing but Gentiles 
everybody's a Gentile. And then from Abraham to Christ, you're either a Jew or a Gentile, right? The next 2,000 years. Where's the church? Well, it's non-existent. It's not back there. You just first have Gentiles, and out of that, God chooses a special group of people uh, called the Jews that came through a miracle child, right? Abraham and Sarah had that funny kid. Not funny looking, but they called him Laughter, otherwise known as Isaac, right? It's a miracle. I mean, good grief. Uh, how old were they? How old's Abraham? How old's she? What do you call this? A miracle. A miracle. <laughs> Relax, Janie. It was a miracle. <laughs> so anyway, but then from the day of Pentecost, uh, the outpouring of the Holy Spirit on the day of Pentecost to, to the rapture, we have the church. And so now we have a threefold division in history. The, the Gentiles, non-Jews, the Jews, and the church, which is made up of believers in Christ, neither Jew nor Gentile. Okay, we got ethnic backgrounds, but really spiritually, we're one new man now. In Christ, 1 Corinthians 10, 32, give no offense either to the Jews or to the Greeks, that's the Gentiles, or to the church of God. So Paul recognizes those three categories of people in the world today. Right. Yes. Uh-huh. I'm thinking of uh, you know, your humor and uh, how difficult this must have been to the Jewish people. Yeah. Because they were really into social distancing. <laughs> <laughs> For sure. And it was more than six feet. <laughs> well, nothing to do, right? Yeah, and, and oh, absolutely. Yeah. And you think about the pressure that was there, you know, in, in the book of Galatians, uh, where uh, you have, you know, Paul's or uh, um, Peter's having fellowship with the Gentiles, having meals together. All of a sudden, you have this delegation come from Jerusalem, and the pressure's on. And what's Peter do? He, he starts social distancing from those Gentiles. And Paul confronts him right to the face. But just think, Peter, an apostle, who was there on the day of Pentecost, had a chief role in those early years, was the one who brought the gospel to the Gentiles for crying out loud. He's feeling that kind of pressure. It was There was tremendous social pressure in those early days to think, we are really total equals. There's nothing unclean about you guys anymore. You're, you're just the same as we are before God on a total equal foot. It was an amazing reality, really. We, we can't appreciate it today where we stand, I don't think. All right, very good. Uh, I think I've got one more slide here. Um, To underscore this newfound unity and equality uh, that is in Christ, Paul uses three terms that are prefixed in the Greek by sin, S-Y-N, meaning with or co. Gentiles are now co-heirs, co-members, and co-partakers. Literally, that's what he's saying, that threefold emphasis here in this verse, that the Gentiles should be co-heirs, fellow heirs. No second-class citizens here. We're right there. Gentiles of all people, you of all people, me of all people. Amazing. Uh, There's an equality here, equal status in the family, fellow heirs of the same body, the same family, the same group, and partakers, co-partakers, equal partners in the spiritual blessings that we enjoy now in the Messiah. Uh, Same relationship, same forgiveness, same access. Same spirit, same new covenant. We all share in all of these things equally. 
Uh, note this uh, statement. The church does not fulfill those specific promises given to Israel. Uh, I'm talking about the land promises. They will yet be fulfilled in relationship to Israel after God completes the church. So, for example, the land promises that God gave to Israel have no fulfillment in the church. We're spiritual people. Um, Israel is kind of a, a physical emphasis. But will yet be fulfilled in relationship to Israel. Only those promises restated and applied to the church in the New Testament can be claimed by the church. We must keep Israel and the church distinct. Thus, the church taps into the spiritual uh, aspects, the, the blessing, spiritual aspects of the Abrahamic covenant, while the physical promises relate essentially to Israel. Arnold Fruchtenbaum, in his book, Israelology, details this in great, great detail. So, uh, yeah... But that's, uh, that's where we are. Notice uh, the emphasis here, partakers of his promise in Christ through the gospel. Uh, there's some discussion about what is this promise. Uh, we're now partakers of his promise in Christ through the gospel. Well, what is the promise in the Old Testament that the Jews were really looking forward to that we now tap into, do you suppose? New covenant blessings. And when you think about new covenant blessings, and we're thinking about the, uh, the spiritual end of things here, the, the, the blessing aspect of the Abrahamic covenant, what is the key reality? Well, there you go. Really, very good. Uh, Acts 15, 8. So God who knows the heart acknowledged them by giving them the Holy Spirit just as he did to us. And here's Peter acknowledging this. Galatians 3, 14, Paul, that the blessing of Abraham might come upon the Gentiles in Christ Jesus, that we might receive the promise of the Spirit through faith. So yeah, tremendous emphasis, even throughout Ephesians here, on, on the Holy Spirit and what he means now to the church. Um, the Holy Spirit is the catalyst. So we're, we're baptized by one spirit into one body, as Paul says in 1 Corinthians. So uh, yeah, um, we might be uh, partakers of his promise in Christ through, through the gospel. Uh, it may be broader than the Holy Spirit, all the, all the blessings, the spiritual blessings related to the gospel, as he goes on to emphasize there, but certainly includes that uh, promise that we have in the new covenant of the, of the Holy Spirit. Uh, John Stott makes this uh, summary statement. It is this double union with Christ and with each other, which was the substance of the mystery. Uh, this was the whole new thing, what we call the church, our, our union with Christ, our union with one another, whether Jew or Gentile, whatever the background is, we're, we're spiritual equals in Jesus Christ. And then he says, uh, of which I became a minister, uh, literally servant. Um, he served the cause of the gospel. This was his whole life's mission and purpose after he was saved, of which I became a minister. Uh, ministering the, the gospel of grace. It says we're all spiritual equals now in Christ, according to the gift of the grace of God. Uh, the grace of God here is the empowerment of God. It empowered him for this special calling related to this grace ministry uh, given to me by the effective working of his power. One more slide. Uh, God's grace changed Paul and made him into the effective instrument that he was. God's enabling power to minister is in view here. In particular, the ability to effectively communicate the truth of this gospel mystery that is now being revealed is in view. It was not Paul's education. We believe he had a great mind, one of the great minds in the history of the world. It was not Paul's education, natural abilities, experience, personality, influence, etc. that made him effective. 
as he says here, rather it was the working of God's power through him. Don't you ever wonder how in the world could Paul do the things that he did? Well, he tells you right here, uh, according to the gift of the grace of God given to me by the effective working of his power. This is testimony to his special calling, his special apostolic calling and how God used him in that way. Well, there's no second-class citizens. Is there any here tonight? Is there any second-class citizens? If you, uh, you know, you have opportunity to share and whine and complain if you're in that category. Not, not for long, though, because we're going to shut you down <laughs> and say, that's not true. There are no second-class citizens. Sometimes you might feel that way, and people make other people feel that way. But really, we're all spiritual equals in Christ. Neither Jew nor Gentile, neither male nor female, neither bond nor free. We're all one in Christ, according to Galatians 3.28. So praise the Lord. No second-class citizens. All right, any other thoughts as we wrap up here tonight? Thank you for your input. All right, I guess we call that a wrap here. And uh, you know what? My experience...